0: Good evening, church. have to love the idea and the thought that God is unchangeable. Uh, and so that uh, gives us the assurance, as we read the Word of God, to know that the book is unchangeable. And so when God, and we meet God in the end, we can know we'll be judged by a righteous and just God by this book the things that are written therein. So it is great to see you here tonight, both members and visitors alike. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Our gracious and kind heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you for this privilege of worship, this opportunity, for your kindness that you've exemplified toward us. Please help us to keep our minds focused only on you and rid our minds of worldly thought that we might worship and focus on your word, your will, and your way. Thank you for Jesus, your great Son. For that amazing sacrifice that was made in our behalf. It's in his precious name we do pray. And thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Okay, back to Judas. The remorse of Judas. Somebody say the repentance, right? Was it repentance or was it remorse? We know what the text says. We'll get to that in just a moment. But the remorse of Judas for tonight. So here's one of the issues about about life. When you find yourself remorseful, or, or you're dealing with a feeling, um, our conscience is there, but your conscience doesn't work on feelings. Although it will, it will work on feelings, but that's not what you want, right? I'm going to show you that. Let's go to Proverbs 28 and verse 26 first, and let's think about this for a moment. If my conscience only worked on how I felt. That's what we have going on in our world today. <laughs> you know, I feel like a girl. I feel like a man. I feel like a this. I feel like a that, right? It's not, it's not, it doesn't, it's not supposed to work that way. Let me show you how it's supposed to work. Verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. And so we start struggling with these kinds of things that, uh, that the Bible teaches against. Uh, we're going to Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter 2. We've we got to ask ourselves, and, and how do we deal with life instead of subjectively, objectively? Right? And it comes from the law of God. You see, what our conscience needs to do is it needs to work based on the law of God. That's how I become uh, excused, and that's how I become, become condemned. What is the law? Right? And then I may develop a, a feeling from the law, but I understand the law is the reason that I have that feeling. I'm either in violation of that law or I am living according to that law. Romans uh, chapter 2 in verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law, speaking of the Old Testament by the way, um, are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts ultimately accusing or else defending them. So it's talking about the law of morality that God has given us, and then, but they're not under the law of Moses. But they're under a law, so there's this law of morality that God has given. It is based on that law that our conscience either excuses us or condemns us. Romans 5, Romans 5 beginning at verse 12. I'm I'm bringing this to you for a reason to understand Judas. Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, sin was imputed, excuse me, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay, so there is no law, there is no sin. But there is a law, right? And so when someone says, well, this is how I feel subjectively, and I'm basing it on the fact that there is no law, then you'd have to say, well, then in a way, that's an objective standard. But feelings are not objective. The law is objective, and our feelings must coincide with what the law says. So again, the verse says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, we can't uh, condemn Adam and Eve for anything they did in the garden, except where there was a law. Do Not even the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Romans uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there Violations. So without a law, we have no violations. That's pretty simple. We understand that. So we're talking about feelings and emotions. We have to be very careful uh, not to be drawn into the subjectivism of our world today, of their feelings and their emotions of how they identify themselves as or what they identify themselves as. So Judas had this feeling of remorse, and Judas stood condemned based on the law based on the fact that he sinned. Here's what God did for Judas. God placed Judas as close to him as he possibly could have to try to save Judas and give Judas chance after chance and opportunity after opportunity to change. So here's what God's word is. Hebrews uh, chapter 4. God's word is for us a book that is living and active, right? Right? Verse 12 says, uh, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword, and is piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, uh, bo- both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes with whom we have to do. And so God's word. Right, The Word of God has the ability. It does what it does based on objectivism, the standard of God. God's Word will judge us and God's Word will ultimately uh, excuse us or it will condemn us. Thus bringing or producing in us this understanding of condemnation or justification. I want to go over to John chapter 13. So imagine we're going into the mind of Judas, John 13, and their understanding as, as time went on with Jesus and the disciples. Jesus didn't treat Judas, even though he was the enemy, any worse or any differently than he treated any of the apostles. In verse 5, then he poured water, speaking of Jesus, into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So the question is, how did that make Judas feel? Well, we're not told, but if you're thinking about objectively, it'll make you feel horrible. But if it's subjective, it really doesn't matter because what Judas was was, uh, doing all along really was more important than what Jesus was ever doing. In Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26. And again, people today, I said this a few weeks ago, I think, are trying to make Jesus out to be the bad one and Judas the good one, right? And saying God gave Judas a bad a bad rap. Matthew 26 and verse 24. The Bible says, The Son of Man is going to go, or the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born and Judas who was betraying him answered and said surely it is not I Rabbi and he said to him you have said it yourself I think the understanding of Judas is Judas really didn't care Judas cared about the money that was in the money changer the rest of it was just a way of gaining it right in Matthew 27 and verse 3 The Bible says that Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned. He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So why did he go hang himself? Because remorse is not the same as repentance. Right? You can feel bad about something, and it may not, you're feeling a feeling bad may not be because you did something wrong it might just be because you got caught it could also be because now you put yourself in a situation that you don't like it's uncomfortable remorse may lead us to a repentance but remorse is not the same as repentance and the bible makes it clear to us that judas felt remorse but judas never repented there was no repentance in his heart Matthew 26 in verse 6 oh by the way let me just bring out one point then when Judas verse 27 3 then when Judas who had betrayed him saw that he had been condemned what did he see right well I want to just go back contextually and think about what you and I would have seen and what we hope Judas at least saw in verse 6 actually I'm going to verse 67 then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him I just can imagine what Jesus' face looked like when his disciples later saw him when Judas saw him The text is telling us that Judas saw what he had done and it doesn't necessarily say or or teach us that right then and there Judas has this amazing feeling of repentance. It says he's just remorseful. What does that really mean? Verse 3 of Matthew 27. Then when Judas who had betrayed him saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse, and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? She to that yourself. It's kind of harsh, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's like, it's like he, you know, uh, he's spitting his own face. It's, you, you read that text, and you find that these people had no concern and no care about what Judas had done, all they cared about was they got their man, Jesus, and they wanted him dead. And there were no options for Judas, right? There was no way out for Judas subjectively, but objectively there was a way out, right? Repentance. Was it pride that maybe made him say, I can't go back to the, uh, the disciples and explain to them what I've done? or You know, what, what exactly was it? We, we, know, we know what it was and that it was remorse, but we also know what it wasn't, it was not repentance It's like a, a man who uh, gets caught doing things he ought not do, and he goes to jail and he's remorseful for it. He gets out of jail and goes back and does it again. Uh, he wasn't repentant, right? He was remorseful because he got caught. Or maybe it didn't work out the way he wanted it to work out. Things aren't going the way I want them to go in my life. Are we giving Judas a bad rap? Well, the inspired writer tells us he didn't repent. The inspired writer tells us he only felt remorse. Verse 5 says, And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and went away and hanged himself. And of course, we could stay right there for a while if we wanted to. But we're going to go back to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 11. So tonight we're, just, we're trying to think about this in an objective way. That's where I want to get us to. I want us to get to that point uh, of an objective standard. And understand that my conscience is working based on the law. Here's what we know based on the law. And you tell me if you agree with this. I know you're going to say yes. If Judas had repented, would he have been forgiven? Of course. Based on the law. Based on the word of God. But the problem is Judas never repented. Think about when you go back and read the life of of Judas with Jesus... How many things Jesus said that when you hear that, you say, you know, He's trying to save me. Not only that, but when you start putting the prophecy together, things you've read, and something's got to make you say, huh, I read that somewhere, right? Maybe I ought to stop. Zechariah chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. And I said to them, if it is good in your sight, Give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Something just says, I've read that somewhere. Psalm, Psalm 41 And and, and they they say, how much will you, how much? And they say, 30 shekels, 30 pieces of silver. And you go, wait a minute. I mean, he has so many signs, objective signs, right? You go back in the Word and you look at the Word and you go, these are objective signs. Here's what the Word of God says. Judas, what are you doing? As long as I don't get caught, right? The Bible says he pilfered from the money bag, which meant he never stopped. Right. So imagine that. You're standing next to Jesus, the perfect one, the innocent one, and he's showing you all these signs and God is showing all this amazing stuff. And it doesn't affect you at all? And there's really something wrong with Judas. Psalm 49. Uh, 41, rather, excuse me. And I was thinking of a different thought. Uh, in verse verse 9. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus quoted this verse. But Jesus quoted it a little bit differently. Let's go to John chapter thirteen. And let's let's look at let's listen to what Jesus said in quoting that particular verse. John thirteen and verse eighteen, speaking of the one who will betray him. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. What did Jesus leave out? Even my close friend. Judas was never a friend of God. So Judas, when you think of you know, answering the question, did, um, did Judas get a bad rap? You got to go back and look at the life of Judas, and learn who Judas is, and know that Judas was actually a pretty bad guy up here, right? Oh, he attended church, right? As we call it, right? He was with Jesus. He walked with them. He he prayed with them. He did all of that stuff. He cast out demons, but he was Satan's man all the way. We just have to keep checking ourselves. Uh, Jeremiah, please. Up here, chapter 2, to make sure that uh, when you do a a checkup, you you find that if there's something in your life that you've got to change, you make that transformation, right? Based on what the Bible says, right? Not based on how I feel, but based on what what does the Bible say? What does God actually say? I want to know what God has to say. Jeremiah 2 in verse 19. This is, uh, by the way, speaking of um, the, Babylon, the Babylonian Empire and, and what's going to happen to, to the um, wicked Judah later going into captivity. He says, your own wickedness will correct you. We got to see that. We know that, right? I think you maybe, I've, I've been there. And Judas' own wickedness is correcting him. It's not because Judas is uh, thinking necessarily about, oh man, I got to make this right with God. his own wickedness. It's his own wickedness that condemned him. Your own wickedness will correct you and your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake the Lord your God and the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. So let's talk about the conscience. Let's talk about that that uh, brain and, and how it works. Now, Second uh, Corinthians chapter Uh, Seven. A thief may steal and believe it's wrong to steal and have a conscience that is uncondemned over time, right? So your conscience can be hardened, can it? Yeah, right. You can have a hardened heart. So that's why you can't trust your feelings, right? You trust your feelings and you've got a hardened heart. Now you got a problem. Now you can be living in violation of God's law, but you don't feel anything anymore. You once did, but no longer. A person can walk away from God, and in the beginning it bothers them, but then, you know, years and years later, it doesn't affect them at all because our conscience can become hardened. Even the Bible says, seared, as with a branding iron, right? It can be hardened. And so we don't trust our our brain in the sense of our feelings, we listen to the word of God. Now repentance is something that God has commanded. God mandated repentance of all of his children, in fact, of the whole world, right? Acts seventeen thirty. God demands that all mankind comes to repentance based on the law, based on the very word of God that we read, based on right and wrong from the word of God. And look at what it does when we do it God's way. So Judas went out and hanged himself. The Bible says in verse 9, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So there's this repentance that comes from God, based on God's ob- objective standard, and you read about this, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a man sleeping with his father's wife, the church is boasting about it, Paul says you're boasting, is not good, they're condemned for what they've done, uh, this man is disfellowshipped for his wickedness, you continue reading, you get into the second letter, uh, and you, you go down to chapter, chapter 2, and you find that Paul says, based on the text, this man has come back, he's returned. And Paul says, reaffirm your love for this man, so he's not overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. And then you continue reading through 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and you find that God's sorrow, repentance, is a repentance that leads not to regret. Right? It's one that, that brings tremendous joy to the heart, because you've made it right with God. And that's what's important. You made it right with man as well. Maybe that did, you know, went well or didn't go well. It doesn't matter. As long as you're right with God, that's what matters. Right? And so it produces this amazing blessing and benefit that brings a, a life of happiness because it's without regret. But the sorrow of the world produces death because it does not bring repentance. Right? In other words, you can repent, turn around and stop doing something, but let me give you an example of worldly repentance, so a man is robbing, um, I don't know banks, and, and uh, he gets a, a hint from one of his friends that hey, the police have figured out your pattern and they know you're going to rob such and such a bank next week, so you might not want to, and so he doesn't rob that bank for that reason, he changed didn't he, but he didn't and he's, it's called repent, but it's not godly repentance, right Okay? And so, godly repentance brings us to this amazing relationship with God. And God is calling all of us to repent and make sure that our lives are in a relationship with Him. Verse 11 says, For behold, what, it, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. So, we're asking people to come forward, and you, know, you hear the, someone says, Well, you got the five steps of salvation. Okay, well, we, we hear the Word of God, Romans 10 17. Faith comes by hearing, you hearing by the word of God, and you believe it, right? Okay, well, it makes sense, right? You, you hear it first, and then you believe it. Now you have to make a rational decision. What am I going to do with this? John 8, 24, unless you believe I'm here, you will die in your sins. What am I going to do with this new information? So you heard it, and now you've believed it, and now you've got to make a decision. What are you going to do with it? you Are going to repent, and, or are you going to keep living the way you live living. So repentance is telling us right here that this repentance right here brings blessings from God, and it doesn't bring us sorrow, but the repentance of the world brings sorrow. This repentance brings salvation, because it goes to the very next step, the confession. When Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven, Matthew ten thirty two, And then 33 says, but if you deny me, I'll deny you. And then baptism, all that leads us to Christ and now we want, we, we want to get into Christ. Galatians 3, baptism puts us into Christ, right? And it's that resurrection we talked about, that death, burial, and resurrection, the likeness of Christ, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've got to repent if there's trouble in our lives. In other words, if we're not living the way God wants us to, just turn it around. Here's the objective standard. So Satan says, look, the way I feel is I feel guilty. I feel bad about what I've done, so I'm going to do nothing. God says, no, yes. Yes, find the repentance in your heart, but then repent. Turn your life around, and the objective r- rule or law is you will be forgiven. Thank you, God. Right. And that's what we have to live our lives in that way of, of understanding that to have the relationship with God means you've got to bring forth some fruit with your repentance, right? Go your way and sin no more, right? Not continue in sin. We turn our lives around. Matthew chapter 3, and we live for Jesus. So here's the thing about Judas. If Judas had repented and then started bringing forth fruits of righteousness, not only would, well, God would have forgiven him as repentance, but it all would have worked out because God would have made it work out. You say, well, what, do you have any evidence of that? But well, there was a man, I think his name was Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, dragging folks out, put it, yeah, look at Paul, right? Look at Paul, he turned it, right? Came to God. God has made this, this salvation piece so simple, we have overcomplicated it, haven't we? You know, we start counting, you know, say, I don't know, you just, we've overcomplicated it. And this is what we also have done. And I keep telling him I'm going to do this and I haven't done it yet. Preach a sermon on the Isle of Shame. He's turned repentance, because Satan knows if you repent, you're going to be forgiven. So what has he done? He's turned repentance into a shameful event. And so now, instead of the Isle of Salvation, it becomes the Isle of Shame. We're worried about whom? We're so worried about what others are going to think of us. Let me tell you something, when it comes to repentance, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. All right? You've got to make something right with God. It doesn't matter what. It does. You get a look from someone, give them a look back. You come down here for Jesus. right? Come for Jesus because your soul depends upon it. Right? And we shouldn't be doing that anyway. right? We should be like, oh, praise God. It's another soul. Praise you. How can I help? right? Understand, now I have a responsibility. Like I just say down in Soldatna, when a person comes forward and pours their heart out to the congregation, don't run out that back door. Don't you run out that back door. You come down here and console our brother or sister in Christ. Come love them and hug them, right? Come tell them it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all We don't do that. We've got to do that, right? Never run out that back door when someone comes forward and repents and asks God to forgive them for the wrongs they've done. It doesn't matter what they've done, right? We're a church family. We have to always act like that, right? So repentance is beautiful. In the eyes of God, it should also be equally beautiful in our eyes. So watch what happens. So, so the, the Pharisees, who are, are like, like a Judas, right? Uh, evil and wicked in all hearts and minds. Uh, they come forward to get baptized. And John says to them in, John, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of Ibers, he just called them. They were just bad people, Right? They were not godly people. They were religious people. That's different, isn't it? Is that different? Religious people from Acts 1730 on Mars Hill, they were religious people. Right? You've got to be a godly person. Right? There's a difference. So he, he calls them a brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. So repentance is something that, it's not just something we, we say, it's something that we do. Right? Go your way and sin no more. We turn our lives around. So if Judas had repented and just we're going to Matthew eleven, please, and just, you know, turned his life to Jesus, to God, and began to serve God, it all would have worked out. It all would have worked out. And how do I how do I know that? Well someone well, that's the way you feel. No, I'm not my feelings have nothing to do with it. Again, we're talking about subjective versus objective. You know why it would have worked out? Because God said it will. That's why it would have worked out. Right? That's objective. And so again, when we're talking to people who are, who are saying, well, I just feel in my heart that I'm this or I'm that or I was born this way or born that way or whatever it may be, remind them, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Right? Closing this out, in Matthew chapter 11 in verse 28, here's what we know God wants. God wants his people to live guilt-free lives. Not guilt-ridden lives, guilt-free lives, right? For freedom, I have set you free. I've taken the captives and, and, and freed the captives, right? Ephesians 2. He's freed us from, from the, the, the stain of sin. He's freed us from uh, the, the wickedness that comes thereof. And he says, you can live a guilt-free life. And all you have to do is just, you know, do what you learn in kindergarten. You know, in kindergarten, we learn this. We learn, oh, you did something wrong, so what should you do? Okay, go and apologize. Okay, little Timmy goes over and says, I'm sorry. Okay, go make it right. You made it right now. Come on, let's not do that anymore. It's called say I'm sorry. You just got to tell God you're sorry. Repentance. Don't do that anymore and live for Jesus. Had Judas done that, it would have been just fine. Verse 28 says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you shall find the very thing you're looking for rest for your souls for my my yoke is easy and my my load is light here's what I'm sad that I think is happening is that Satan has twisted some of that too Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. No, I'm not going to God because God won't understand. And so people are steered from God. Some think that being a Christian is harder than being worldly. (laughs) Look at the book. The book says, "Uh uh-uh. God says, my load. My load is light. My yoke is easy. In comparison, what is it, Psalm 7, verse 11? In the King James Version, mostly, the way of the wicked is hard. You, you you, know, we know it. Had Judas come to God and asked for forgiveness, everything would have been all right. Tonight, church, if you've got some things that aren't right, just give it to God. And everything's going to be all right. Your forgiveness is imminent. Your forgiveness is automatic because God promised it. And then you turn your life and live for Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you want to be saved, go down to the watery grave and you're resurrected anew. Receive a gift of the Holy Spirit. Made a member of the church. Put exactly where God wants you to be. It's going to be all right. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why not you come? The world is warm, and the world the time.